Hello, everyone. This is Tim Finan, host of Granite Talk. My guest for this episode is Rick Holder, owner and CEO of Hampshire Hills here in Milford, New Hampshire. Rick and I had a great discussion that went on fairly long, so I've decided to break it into two episodes. This episode will focus on the history of Hampshire Hills and the Hampshire Dome, Rick's involvement in the early days, and some fun facts that listeners may not be aware of. Part two will focus on some of the more interesting stories and anecdotes over the years, special events, presidential and VIP visits, and things of that sort. So please sit back and enjoy part one of my interview with Rick Holder. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Granite Talk. My name is Tim Finan, and I'll be your host for today's episode. My guest this week is Rick Holder. Rick is the owner and CEO of Hampshire Hills right here in Milford, New Hampshire. Hampshire Hills is one of the premier multi-recreational complexes in the region and even in the country. They have a wide array of facilities, including indoor and outdoor swimming pools and tennis courts, as well as sports fields, walking trails, a gymnasium, and a world-class fitness center. Uh, thank you, Rick, for joining us. I appreciate you taking the time. My pleasure. Now, I hope I didn't butcher that intro too much. I think I kind of said I didn't say anything incorrectly there, right? Oh, no, it's perfect. Right, right. So, um, yeah, I've, I've been really looking forward to this. Uh, as I think you know, I've, I've, I'm a longtime member. I've been a member, I don't know, since mid-'90s, I think. Um, but um, yeah, I've always I've always been interested in the history of it and and uh, hearing some of the old time stories. So I'm I'm thrilled that you were agreeable to sit down and talk to everybody. Talk to me about this. I, I love talking about it. It's because it's uh, it's an icon in in our industry only because we're such a, a diverse uh, business and facility, and uh, we're in an extraordinarily small demographic. What what do you mean by that? I mean, just population wise, there's not a lot to draw from. Is that what you mean? Yeah, g- generally speaking, a facility as large and complete as ours would be in Hartford, Connecticut, Westchester County, New York, uh, some places with a large population base mm-hmm. and uh, a diverse base. So yeah, it is very it is very big for. Um... A facility for this this kind of area and and we'll get we'll get to all that so i wanted to just start can we talk a little bit about just the history how long i've got a general idea but when was the club built it was actually built in 1973 uh with land bought from diane and pearly chapel the pearly chapel was the founder of chapel tractor Okay, and um, and they're still across the road from you over. On, yes, over their their Grandview Farm is also iconic, uh, with their windmill, uh, the number one marker of sunsets in uh, the Milford area. It's just a, a beautiful a beautiful site, and they have a lovely farm. And they have the old tractor right there too, I believe. Correct. So yeah, that that's beautiful, and they've land right in front of you too. The the pasture that you see. Yeah. Cows out there yep. As well. yep. Uh sheep as of uh, the past few years. They do a, a marvelous job maintaining all of their fields. I, I believe 
um, that Emerson Road and Federal Hill Roads are amongst the prettiest in uh, in the region. Oh, I, no, I agree. Actually, Milford has some beautiful roads like that. Um, yes. But that's a great area, and so isn't like out on North River Road as you're heading out that direction. It's beautiful. Certainly. Uh, so, okay, so the land was bought by the chapels, but not you, right? So you didn't you didn't have it then. No, the Barreto uh, Barreto Granite Corporation that was owned by John Barreto, <clears throat> um, he really had uh, a love of family activities and family recreational activities, and it was his dream to always build a recreational facility that would meet the needs of uh of families mm-hmm. so he uh was the steward of going forward and building hampshire hills and originally it was uh planned to be in amherst new hampshire very close to where the police and the fire complex is and um as it turned out there were some townspeople that were concerned about the potential for pollution somehow of the Minot Bird Sanctuary, and they decided it probably wasn't the right uh, the right business to, to locate on that land. <clears throat> so uh, John Barreto found another uh, bunch of land in Milford, which wound up being at the confluence of Route 13 and Routes 101 and 101A, which proved to be a, an excellent uh, selection. And it also proved to uh, provide a lot more, ultimately, a lot more land. So uh, almost three times as much land became available, ultimately. And that's what we have today, about 77 acres. Wow. So I, I didn't know that story of uh, of Amherst. So that's I'm, I'm glad you ended up where you are. Well, we're uh, we're very close to the center, the center of uh, Milford. And I believe the center of Milford is so close to the center of Amherst, it may be the closest of two medium-sized towns, uh, centers in the whole state of New Hampshire. That's a, that's a good point. You, you may very well be right. Um, yeah, that's, that's interesting. I know the two towns now are talking about the possibility of, you know, of um, putting sidewalks from the oval over to all the way to the green in, in, uh, Amherst, which would be great. Yeah, there is a, a actually a very a good plan that's uh, uh, has has been shepherded by Rick Katzenberg, uh, who has worked with Hampshire Hills and our walking program for years now, mm-hmm. and um, uh, through the Wellpoint Foundation, and he really helped lead the development of the bike path that will run between Amherst and uh, Milford. Oh yeah, so that that's great. So what? Um... So, so 73, so was the bypass already in when Hampshire Hills was built? It was uh, nearly completed. I'm not sure that it was totally completed, but uh, yeah, they, uh, the plans and the financing and everything had been pretty much uh, developed. I do know that work was still being done on 101A, which was a, a, a stub route. And, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, it was... It was uh, wonderful that it was uh, a quicker way for people to get to Hampshire Hills than would have been if they had no access uh, off off the uh, bypass. Right, and isn't the is the Bretto Quarry isn't that in Milford? Yes, the Bretto Quarry is just off 
uh, Armory Road. And um, it's only uh, about a mile and three quarters from Hampshire Hills. Uh, it worked out marvelously well for the building of the main buildings because they used so much granite in it. It became the most granite bearing club in the U.S. Oh yeah, and it's it's uh yeah I was gonna mention that that I didn't think it was a coincidence, but yeah, there's granite everywhere. The steps are you know steps are granite. The the pool edgings are granite. There's granite everywhere. Oh, today you it wouldn't be possible to replace all that. It would be financially impossible. Yeah, it, yeah, it's amazing. It's just amazing, and and it's beautiful, beautiful granite. Even our lap pool when we built that, we decided to use Milford pink granite. Ah. And people people just marvel when they look at it. It's, it's absolutely gorgeous. And um, the irony is that it's not from Milford, New Hampshire. It's from <laughs> Milford, Massachusetts. Uh, oh, really? Another quarry that they happen to own in Milford, Mass. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So actually, that was, uh, you raised a, a, a point that I was, was going to ask you. So when it was built, and I know you weren't involved at that time, was the like the general... You mentioned the lap pool, lap pool, so I'm guessing that was put on later. Was the general footprint when it was built in '73 approximately what it is now? Uh, no, just the, well, yeah, the two main buildings, yeah, and the uh, main core that the restaurant and uh, central hallways are in. Yes, mm-hmm. then we added on to the back of the building and the uh, fitness center to the. Uh, southeast corner and the uh, track and gym and uh, lap pool were all added in 1986. Oh, okay. So from 85 to currently, we've been adding little bits and pieces here and there and uh, have uh, added probably six major uh, programs that we weren't able to do before. So it's been a, a, a love, as far as I'm concerned, being able to add so many different features that uh, make it replete for just about anything you'd ever want to do. Oh, yeah. And I've seen a lot of that. Uh, but obviously, you have a lot more. So when did you, you, you said 85, 86. Is that when you got involved? Is that when you purchased the club? Uh, no. <clears throat> I actually took over as general manager in 1985. And over the subsequent seven years, uh, became familiar with every nut and bolt mm-hmm. in the facility, having had to replace many of them, <laughs> and 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 paint many of them, and and uh, really learn about the ins and outs of the entire uh, physical plant as we were redesigning the uh, the way the business was run. Mm-hmm. And we knew that we needed to add more diversity, and uh, and we set about that. So uh, in 1992 and 93, I completed the process of purchasing uh, the whole facility. Interesting. So I and I I remember a story. I think you told it. I don't know where I would have seen you, or it might have been somebody else, but. Did you want to tell a story about when you took over, there were cigarette machines in the lobby and you got rid of them? Does that sound familiar? Well, uh, <clears throat> I uh, I had some challenges along the way. And <laughs> uh, 
the the company had its ups and downs financially in the uh, late seventies. Uh, remember the oil embargo of seventy eight. Yeah. And the uh, the the following years were really the U.S. economy was shaky. Mm-hmm. And, uh, to that point, uh, Hampshire Hills had done a of an average business with the uh, tennis and sports uh, and fitness, but they hadn't really, they hadn't really developed it the way they needed to. And on top of that, the restaurant was booming until Mm -hmm. 1978, 1979. There were people lined up. The whole idea back then of sitting at a fancy table, uh, watching people uh, somewhat, in that day, scantily clad people running around on a tennis mm-hmm. court while you dined on Chateaubriand was uh, <laughs> was uh, a novelty to say the least. And people oh, yeah. travel from Portland, Maine, and Boston, Massachusetts to uh, take a gander. Oh uh, wow! <clears throat> but uh, that died out very very quickly when the uh, financial uh, ability here in the U.S. for fine dining. Uh, died very quickly. So Mm -hmm. uh, they had to face the the idea or the reality of changing the the dining menu and the way they would present it. And and, uh, so so slowly, it it, uh, really slowed down a lot from what I call very fancy uh, uh, fine dining, almost gourmet dining. Hmm. And uh, that really almost was the death knell for Hampshire Hills because it's such a a huge complex and the way that you uh, pay your bills is by bringing in enough revenue to uh, keep the thing going. Their restaurant business was uh, their most profitable. But in and amongst that business uh, were certain things that probably weren't as healthy. One of them was uh, the cigarette machine. They had, they were selling a lot of cigarettes. And if you went into the club on a Friday or a Saturday night, you would smell the cigarettes. <clears throat> so when I got there, I, I just tried to convince them that it made no sense. We we certainly all knew that uh, cigarette smoking was deleterious to your health, and uh, uh, we're a health club. <laughs> What's wrong with that picture? Exactly. And then they clued me in that I was the general manager, mm-hmm. and they would need to make they would be making the financial decisions, particularly with something which, uh, for its square footage, made the most profit of anything in the entire club. <clears throat> so, wow! I know, and I I kept at it. I, I said, "Well, can we just?" We can leave the machine there. Let's just not fill it anymore. <laughs> they didn't think that was very funny. And uh, so it took me almost uh, nine months of, of cajoling and persuading. And finally, uh, well, I, I call him the old man, JB. Uh, he relented. And he and I got along famously. It was it was, uh, it was quite a, a challenge at tr- times trying to persuade him that um, when you use the word classic, to some people it sounds very classy, but 
but to other people it sounds old. Mm-hmm. So I yep. stopped moving in a new direction, and it mm-hmm. was it was a a lot of lot of work, hard work, uh, but a lot of fun. And our members uh, were wonderful, uh, even when I had to institute certain things that weren't always to their liking. For instance, there was a time that we had finally realized that uh, the free towel program was not only terribly costly, it was uh, potentially hazardous because you had to be running these huge washers and dryers all the time, and they were they were heated by propane, and uh, once in a while, one would overheat and would send a smell of smoke uh, through the club, uh, and that was that was a problem. But the other problem was it was so so expensive to do it that I finally told the owners, I said, hey, we're going to have to start charging. Even, you know, 50 cents a towel will help Mm -hmm. us uh, defray some of these exorbitant costs. So they finally agreed, and we'll charge 50 cents a towel. And that way, uh, all the times that you'd have a family of of five come in and the kids would each want three towels, and they'd take (laughs) three towels, and then if you followed them down to the indoor pool – they would put the three towels on the chaise lounge, and then they would run off to play with their friends. And the three towels would wind up sopping up water or on the floor, and so, and a uh, an attendant would go around picking up all the towels and take them back to be washed again. Mm-hmm. So uh, I said the only way to stop it is to have a value placed on it on a per item basis. So I instituted it, and I thought it would be. I'd received a huge haranguing, but there were only three members that really gave it to me. <clears throat> and mm-hmm. and two of them finally said, okay, you know, you're probably right. And there was one, a doctor, who just every time he'd come in, he would complain so violently uh, and loudly that the front desk would say, geez, you know, let's just give him the towel. <laughs> and finally, I called him into my office, which was the front office uh, at that time. And I asked him, you know, I said, you know, these scenes that are, that, are, that are happening each time are so, well, they're very upsetting to the front desk staff as well as members who watch have to watch it. What, what I'm going to do is every time you come in, don't go to the front desk. You come right here into my office and I'm going to be here and I'm going to give you 50 cents every time you come in. <laughs> he looked at me like you son of a bitch <laughs> exactly kept him into it <laughs> right and he uh he never never put up a stink again he never said a word again and he remained a member for many years so <laughs> well that's good that's good now do you have many members that have been around since day one are there any yes oh yes oh really yeah, we do, do they, are they a special category or something like season ticket holders that you have special holiday parties just for the uh, the what would you what would you call them the founding members or something I don't know what you, I, I would say we, we call them our, our wonderful long term members some of them were members who actually participated in uh, a once in a lifetime opportunity to buy a lifetime membership which was ostensibly a contract that that for 10 years you would have 
your for one fee, you would have your membership paid for, whether it's an individual membership, which was about $1,800, or a family membership, which was, I believe, about $3,500. Back then, don't forget, in 1973, right. 74, that's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. But uh, and then after ten it, after ten years, uh, then it would uh, it would be over. But it would give you ten years, which was uh, then it was highly valued if you mm-hmm. if you uh, if 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 it remained open for ten years. If it didn't remain open for ten years, you would get a prorated amount back uh, uh, that was equal to the number of years that uh, you didn't get to use. Right. Well, we we got to the ten year mark, and uh, uh, it was up. And Libretto said to me, "Well, we <clears throat> we've got to start charging these lifetime members." And I said, "You know, we have a chance to be the only club that I've ever known of to give lifetime members what they may have may have thought they were getting a lifetime membership." Mm-hmm. And uh, why don't we see if we can continue it on for those who are expecting that it is a lifetime membership and didn't read the fine print that it's up after 10 years. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't necessarily fine print, but I'm sure that there were several that thought it was a lifetime membership. So at that, at that point, uh, people had had uh, basically 12 years of membership. And I said, uh, no, I guess 11 years of membership. And I said, let's try it for a little bit. Well, you know something? That brought us more goodwill. People who said, wow, that's a company that's standing by, behind the the uh, the thought and, and not the fine print. Mm-hmm. And uh, to this very day, those sustaining members who made that initial purchase have had a a membership, a lifetime membership that they never had to pay a penny for afterwards. Yeah, that's great. And I don't know of any other club in in America that has stood behind uh, what they what they uh, said and and uh, for as long as we have, those forty seven years. <clears throat> wow. We're actually celebrating our golden anniversary in two and a half years. Yeah, so, I was just I was just looking at my notes and I was trying to do the math in my head. It's like, yeah, you're coming up on fifty years. So you should get like a picture of all those sustaining members right out in front of the building. Not, not only that, we'll uh, we uh, uh, when we reached our twentieth year, I had I had a parade of all the staff, and we had a big party for all the members, and we we built uh, with Frederick's pastry and Frederick's help uh, the world's longest cake. It was eighty-seven <laughs> feet long. Wow! And it took. Uh, I, I think it was something like 50 staff members to carry it out of the basement where it had been assembled and all the way out to the uh, uh, function field where we were celebrating this great event. It, it, I, the pictures are still amazing to me. And, wow. that, and that was just our 20th anniversary. Now <laughs> we're going to be coming up on the 50th anniversary. Uh, have, have, you, have you started planning yet? Do you know what you're going to be doing? Oh, I'm building the world's longest cake, but I have to use the Hampshire Dome. <laughs> uh, oh, that that's that's neat. So, um, fifty years. Oh, that's that's. Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty incredible when you when you think of how many families 
uh, and how many generations. As a matter of fact, at one time, the Chapel family, uh, they were members with five generations participating. Five generations. Wow. George's wife, uh, we called her Nana, and George's children, uh, you know, Roger Chapel and yep. and, and uh, the families all the way down through to Corey Chapel. They were all they were all uh, members, and Corey's uh, youngest child. They were all members at the time, and it was just so wonderful to see five generations actually using Hampshire Hills at one time. Oh, yeah. You really do have five generations all living at one time. There's probably other examples of that that you may not know. Yeah. Oh, it's very possible. And we've had many, many marriages at Hampshire Hills of people who met at Hampshire Hills. We've had marriages of staff people who met each other while working at Hampshire Hills. Uh, And wonderfully to relate, many of those marriages are <laughs> I'm sure a few haven't made it either, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so, speaking of membership, what what is um, what what are your current numbers like approximately? How many members do you have in at the Jails? We have approximately fifty four, fifty three to fifty four hundred total members, men, women, and children, and they come from all the surrounding towns. Um. And it's kind of, it's kind of fun. I, I remember when we first started the Milford Amherst Chamber of Commerce. That, that happened actually at Hampshire Hills. Wow. It uh, happened, I think it was 1988. And a group of, uh, I think it was 38 business people got together in the wing, major Wingfield room. That's what the name was at the time. It's now mm-hmm. the Americana room. But um, uh, we all talked about seceding from the Nashua Chamber because we just weren't getting much bang for the buck and mm-hmm. uh, starting our own. And uh, it was uh, basically a unanimous vote. And we started right then and there putting uh, the concept of a Milford Amherst Chamber together. And we grew it uh, tremendously over the first six or seven years. And uh, now it's, of course, the Sohegan Valley. Uh, it's an Actually, the Merriman. Yeah, they moved in they... Valley. That just happened in the past nine months. Yeah, but it's a, it's a, a very large chamber, a very successful chamber, mm-hmm. and they do they do wonderful things for businesses in in this region. But it all started right there all those years ago. Yeah, so fifty four hundred members. That sounds like a lot. Is it a lot for a facility your size? Oh, and I no. got I I got to believe like Gold's Gym or what, whatever it's called these days. Uh, it's nowhere near that. <laughs> well, um, it's so spread out. We have, uh, say, an average size large gym uh, is usually comprised of, including its entry area and bathrooms and locker rooms, of about ten thousand to twelve thousand square feet. In all, uh, including the Hampshire Dome, we have 225,000 square feet. Wow. And that allows us <laughs> to spread out and do things that you just can't do in a, a regular health club setting. Mm-hmm. We're a full-fledged athletic club with, if you look at all of the activities that we offer between the Hampshire Dome and Hampshire Hills, 
we have more activities and facilities than any other club in the United States of America. Wow. Yeah, and that's really that's really saying something. But uh, we use uh, a lot of our 77 acres. Uh, we use so much of our space for multiple uh, multiple uh, reasons. Mm-hmm. And we have several different kinds of businesses going on in the space, which is kind of neat. We're, we've always thought that trying to be one-stop shop, great programs for kids, great programs for adults, uh, f- good food programs. Uh, the salon is, is a fabulous salon. Uh, what you can't do at Hampshire Hills, you can do in the Hampshire Dome. Mm-hmm. That was my original idea for the Hampshire Dome. It was, it was, uh, it took a lot of planning and a lot of designing, but I knew that we needed to satisfy the things that we didn't offer at Hampshire Hills, particularly for the younger set. We could do it if we built the Hampshire Dome. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it, it turned out to provide virtually everything that we didn't have the space for in, inside Hampshire Hills. Yeah, so so this is a good time to talk about that. Then the the dome. Um, one of the things that I always thought was missing, even though I didn't do it, was missing at Hampshire Hills. The old Hampshire Hills was um, golf. There was no golf. I expected it would be. I I always thought that someday you were going to buy that front land and put a putting green out there. Is something with to do with golf. But you do. You now have a driving range inside the dome. So uh, yeah, we do, and uh, and we have plans to uh, at some point put up uh, some netting and have. Uh, some driving in the back uh, area on, on one of our fields. I believe wow. uh, the more things you add, uh, we we may actually start grooming our, our ski trail, cross-country ski trails this winter. We haven't done that in a while. So mm-hmm. once in a while, we'd break them out. But we, we would like to just go back to adding as many outdoor features as we possibly can. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did put a lovely little putting green croquet lawn uh, right outside of our deck restaurant it's oh yeah yeah but it's also fun uh not just to use for practicing a little bit of putting here and there or once in a while playing croquet but the most fun for me is seeing kids run around barefoot on the croquet or putting green grass which is real bent grass that we uh, cut to the standards that you would expect to find in a, in a professional croquet lawn. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, just the joy that, that you see in these kids uh, running around on that soft, uh, just beautiful green, green uh, bent grass. You realize that that's, that's worth everything. Yeah, that's a that's a beautiful area back there. With the, I'm trying to remember back. I'm guessing when you put redid that all out there and put the deck in um, 20 years ago, or maybe even longer. Because I remember my kids. I remember them playing out there. It was it was that long ago, and we put in the uh, waterfall and yep. and uh, and everything. But my my hope was that it would be something that everyone could use, and I didn't want it to be. A stodgy old uh, croquet only type of, uh, yeah. type of pitch. And ironically, when <clears throat> Governor Sununu was here a couple of weeks ago, uh, his speech was on the croquet pitch. And he mm-hmm. actually he said it right. He said, "You know something? 
I never ever thought I'd be giving a speech on a croquet pitch, but this this is the first time, and it's darn darn beautiful. You know, it was it was uh, it was fun to know or to see that he knew what it was called. It didn't he didn't say croquet lawn, he said croquet pitch. And I thought, hey man, he's done his homework or something. <laughs> now, do you still have the shuffleboard court out there, or did you repurpose that? I we repurposed it. Uh, we just weren't getting much use, and unfortunately, it, it also was kind of loud when when we would let kids use it. They would kind of get a little wild with it, and I understand it. But it was you really needed a a, a shuffleboard cop out there uh, <laughs> controlling the activity because they would send those shuffleboard discs down uh down the court so fast that they would fly off and could be yeah and there's a lot of glass right there too so you got to be careful so uh that's uh, that is one thing we did get we did give up but uh it's now a lovely uh patio area for dining and uh we've uh we've got uh all the fire pits out there and if you come even even tonight uh You'd see all of our fl- all of our flaming heaters mm-hmm. uh, off tremendous fl- uh, flames, and then the uh, fire pits are all flaming up and giving warmth this time of year. So in in uh, the early season, late April, early May, uh, in May, or right now, late September and into early October, it really uh, takes the chill off the night, and it's beautiful to to look at. Yeah, it is. It is I, I love it out there. Um, so let's get back to the dome just for a bit. So when when did you put that in? Uh, we actually opened it uh, January fifth of two thousand and five, but I had spent almost seven years designing and uh, developing it, uh, going through the permitting process, uh, doing the land development. There was so there was so much to it. Mm-hmm. But it had always been a, a dream of mine. I grew up a gym rat. My dad was the principal of Wells High School in Wells, Maine, uh, right there. Uh, mm-hmm. Where Gunkwood is, Gunkwood in Wells. Yep. Well, we were a, a town of about 1,800 people back then. And uh, the high school was just a focal point for the town. This is back in the 40s and 50s. And, uh, uh, you know, what was going on in town usually was going on at, at the school. And so dad would be there as the principal. He was also a coach of many sports and taught two or three subjects. And I was a gym rat. And so whenever dad said, hey, Mo, you want to go? <clears throat> uh, I'm going up to the school. And I said, can I bring Wayne? Can I be, bring Reggie? You know, <laughs> and he'd say, oh, call him up, tell him to get over here. And then I could spend five, six hours uh, of my day. It could be a weekend day. It could be a school out a day. It could be school vacation week or a snow day. Nothing mm-hmm. to be a snow day. Man, you're out of school, but you can go to the gym and spend the day there. Yeah. So, so uh, yeah, I, I loved everything about sports there. I, I, loved my, I loved my childhood. It was amazing. But I always felt uh, Dad would be so proud if uh, someday I could build something that was a super sports a facility that kids could do almost any sporting activity in that they that they would uh, 
enjoy. And he was he was a, an amazing track coach. We won the state championships ten years in a row, if you can imagine. Wow! In a very small school, and uh, so that's his track. That track is there basically in his in his honor, and it's the longest indoor track I think in in uh, the Northeast. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, most tracks are are two hundred meters. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, like Harvard and and BC and all of those those tracks. Ours is three hundred and thirty three hundred and thirty five, I believe. So it's almost twice as, as long as many of the indoor tracks. Yeah, that sounds about right. I think it's five laps to the mile. Yep, I right. think. Yep. Yeah. Right. I try to get over there. My wife and I go over there and walk. We haven't in a while, but we try to get over there as much as we can, especially in the winter. Oh yeah, it's a, it's a, a nice surface, and uh, and it's full of people who are smiling and and getting and staying healthy. Yeah, yeah. So what else you do over there besides sports? I know you know we see you go do the little antique shows or not the antique shows, but craft shows, craft and shows, and car shows, done concerts. You, have you have you done actual concert concerts? I know you've had bands in there like during other events but have you ever actually hosted a you know a a concert yes yes we have and uh not names that uh, are the big names but drawing you know uh, seven eight hundred people and um and i I would really like to do more i I probably should do more looking into that for the future because the acoustics are wonderful and the 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 grass sucks up all of the bounce noise so you don't get um, uh, an echo mm-hmm. uh, but I'll tell you we've uh, we've used it as a training center for professional baseball butch Hobson had his uh, his team in there for a couple of years yeah uh, I remember so that said it was the the finest practice field he's ever been <laughs> in well, and, and before he was there he was you, you set him up uh, over at Hampshire Hills because my kids took lessons with him. Uh, part of it was in the tennis courts, and there used to be a batting cage like way up in the attic. I remember having to climb upstairs oh. on the side of the tennis courts to get to them. Uh, that's right. Uh, good, good memory. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's uh, that's right. And uh, we also set up some uh, driving uh, golf driving mats up there. Mm-hmm. And uh, the funny thing is, uh, my son Alex once uh, once told me. He said, "Dad, uh, I got to tell you." I was teaching a lesson out here today, uh, and a golf ball came onto uh, court three. I said, a golf ball? Oh, it must have been up in the rafters. He said, no, it came through the wall. (laughs) Wow. Somebody had hit a hard drive, and the net didn't, uh, maybe it wasn't positioned right, but anyway, it made a hole right through the wall, the plywood, and uh, wound up. Out on tennis court number three. Wow, that's that's funny. We fixed that real real quickly. Um, I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. So uh, so Butch uh, was over there, and we he pointed out to me, you you know something. I said what? He said I was figuring it out, and the distance from home plate where they would practice to the far. Uh, far left, left center field uh, padding around one of our light towers is 368 feet. And I said, yeah, that's, that is a long poke. 
He said, that's only 10 feet short of the same spot in Fenway Park. Wow. <laughs> I said, wow. Thank you for pointing that out. Yeah, that's interesting. We've had professional football. The uh, uh, Manchester Wolves were uh, yep. there. The soccer leagues, big soccer teams, softball uh, teams come in. Uh, I'll tell you, there's probably not anything. We've had the, the Clydesdales, the Budweiser Clydesdales have been in there. Uh, we've had uh, the U.S. Army uh, uh, hurling team in there playing. Hurling is an Irish sport where people bat a small ball around that is hard as a rock. Yep. <laughs> and, and the sticks they use look a little bit like field hockey sticks, only they're <laughs> more dangerous and they're like clubs. Yeah. Uh, Fenway, Fenway Park had a hurling tournament, I guess, was it last year or two years ago? I don't remember that I went down to, and that was, that's a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, to watch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So, what about uh, talk? Can you talk a little bit about the the infamous collapse? Oh uh, yes, uh, that, <laughs> uh, you know everyone everyone talks this year about COVID nineteen coming in the middle of March, and uh, you know the Ides of March being uh, just uh, the. Worst time for calamities for for some reason, and it goes back historically. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, on the fifteenth of March in two thousand sixteen, we had uh, we had a snow buildup uh, that was for some reason able to shift as we were removing the snow, and it shifted in such a way that it set off a small avalanche from the other side and it all came together and at the confluence it was big enough and heavy enough to create a, a, a huge avalanche that came down in just the wrong spot in uh, on the side of the dome and as it did it ripped a hole in the side as it ran along the edge of the dome itself that rip uh, continued to uh, tear, and as it did, it came to a seam and kind of ran up the seam. It's a tremendous amount of weight that now shifted to the far end of the dome. And as that sunk and sunk and sunk, it stretched the fabric uh, and put so much pressure on the fabric that it finally uh, uh, gave way. And that must have been that must have been terrifying. Where, where were you when it happened? I was um, on vacation in Florida. So did someone, did Tom I, call you or something and say, guess what? <laughs> my daughter called me uh. and she was uh, crestfallen. It was uh, the saddest voice I've ever heard in my life. Uh, and I had been on the phone, as I almost always am, when they're doing snow removal with uh, my director of the, of the process. and. Uh, he said, yeah, things are going great. Everything's nice and smooth. I'm taking a quick break to go get some food for the guys. And uh, the next thing I heard was McKinley calling me and saying, hey, the dome went down. Wow. Uh, talk about a, a, a kick in the guts. I that can was, imagine. That was, oh, my God. Because we had made it through uh, 
several storms that winter, mm-hmm. and some of, them, uh, some of them much bigger than the one we were working on. And it was just uh, everything broke the wrong way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The replacement, the replacement dome, we re- redesigned it uh, and got a, a different uh, height and, and pitch to it. Uh, and then we reinforced every every place that uh, we had any problem with, so that if <clears throat> that had happened the way it is now, it never would have uh, ripped the dome. Right. But uh, you know, was, was the, there was there anybody inside or on it at the time? Uh, no, the guy the guys had come down off uh, off the dome, and uh, there were some people who were in training. Uh, in the in the end of the dome that really can't collapse, mm-hmm. the, you know where the the giant twelve foot wall is. The twelve foot wall is reinforced with eighteen inches of concrete and number four rebar. I mean, it's mm-hmm. like, right. like a steel. But uh, they had left also, <clears throat> and uh, but yeah, t- actually, Tom Sapienza ran in to see uh, what he could do and. We had two of our workers that were trying to put the uh, tarps up to stop the air from going out. Uh, they weren't in danger because they were over in an area that was stopped by the towers from coming down. Mm-hmm. But um, no, no one got hurt. But boy, I'll tell you, it was a lot of work fixing it all and re- replacing it all. And, yeah. But, you know, uh, we wound up with uh, a stronger, uh, better, uh, better dome. So, yeah. uh, you got a lot of press too. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't all the press I wanted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't they say no? Uh, there's no such thing as bad press. <laughs> I, I I don't know. I don't think John Wilkes Booth would would agree. This is true. This is very true. This appears to be a good place to stop. I want to thank everyone for listening to part one of my talk with Rick Holder. If you enjoyed this, please check out part two with even more great stories about the early years of Hampshire Hills. Our theme music for this episode was written and performed by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or on most major podcasting apps. You can also stream directly from our website at GranitTalk.com. As always, we welcome any and all feedback or suggestions that you may have for future episodes. We invite you to go to Granite Talk's Facebook page at facebook.com slash granitetalk. Thank you again for listening, and we hope you join us again for another episode of Granite Talk.